Hi guys and welcome to the fucking Auto Legion podcast. I'm James and I'm here with a very special guest today. Hello. This is Captain Insano Kano. Oh uh, damn, I'm a captain now. Yeah. Well, uh, captain Insano is a reference to the Adam Sandler movie where he looks after that boy and it's like, no, it was the water boy. Fuck, what am I on about? Captain Insano shows no mercy and he pokes the guy in the eyes. You've, you've lost it, mate. You've yeah, lost I've the fucking. We've already tried recording this once, so <laughs> bear with us. Uh, it's just me and Kane today. Uh, Bryce and all them lot, they're going to be away for a while, so uh, unfortunately, uh, just got to stick with us. So, um, Kane, what are we doing today? Uh, today, we are covering serial killers and cult leaders. For the second time today. For <laughs> the second time today. So all this, pretty much all this information I've heard already, Kane's already said, uh, some of which I have said. Um, but luckily, it was only five minutes worth, so uh, yeah, we're just going to record them now. Um, should we get into it? Yeah, well, let's get into it. All right, I'll let you go first. Uh, so, first of all, we'll be looking at the Son of Sam killer, David yep. Berkowitz. Um, he was a, well, he is a convicted murderer of six people. Uh, he also injured seven more during a spree between July of 1976 and 1977, uh, all within New York City. Mm. And uh, he his weapon of choice was a forty-four Bulldog revolver. Nice, nice, nice weapon. Um, Scooby cut, cut. Boom. Uh, he set fifteen hundred fires around new york during that time as well actually i think this was throughout his life that that must be some sort of record i don't know crazy. it's got to be a record is that confirmed though or yeah, is that like that, claimed that's confirmed, that's confirmed. That's 1500 insane. fires um as with quite a few serial killers uh he was adopted at a young age yeah uh he had a fairly all right family life to be honest um his mother and father doted on him. He was an only child in the in his new adopted family. Yeah. Um, but he was a larger kid, and he got bullied uh, quite a bit. Uh, received some head trauma at a young age, yeah. uh, which has been linked to psychopathic tendencies. Makes sense. Um, I'm not a psychologist or neurologist whatever don't worry i failed psychology uh but uh yeah a bit of brain trauma might make you a little bit uncontrollable yeah he started lighting fires at the age of 12 yeah that'll that'll fuck you up up. he was also did a bit of uh animal abuse yeah it's common with a lot of serial killers uh he served in the u.s army over in south korea um Yeah. Good food, apparently. I like food. I don't food. think he was eating there. I don't, well, he probably was eating there, but he, I don't think he went there specifically just to eat, though. See, the funny thing is, if if the if the mic can barely pick us up, <laughs> might not be able to pick Matt up. Yeah. So in the background, we have Matt. Um, you won't see him. You probably won't hear him. But uh, He is there. Yeah, he's there. Uh, and he's here to sort of just give input. Uh, so what did you just say? I don't even remember. 
No, me neither. Um. Um, so back to David Berkowitz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, originally, when he was caught, he uh, tried to plead insanity. Yeah. Uh, and he claimed that he was sent orders to kill via his neighbour and uh, his neighbour's demonic dog, Harvey. He <laughs> <laughs> <It> was a <laughs> Labrador. I, I, I probably heard this once and it's still funny. The fucking demonic Labrador. Yeah. Um, he later retracted his statements and said that it was all a hoax um, and that he'd got this idea of pseudo-possession from a church in Louisville, Kentucky, and from books such as Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, and The Omen. Um, I personally haven't read them books, but no. I've seen that one clip from The Exorcist. It was quite good. Yeah. It's a bit weird, but I prefer the scary movie adaptation. <laughs> a lot better. Um, this was all a... a plead for insanity because he, he knew what he was doing yeah but uh he just thought it would be an easy way to escape and put blame somewhere else yeah, rather than sense. you know on himself yeah. um after he was caught and in prison a lot of books were wrote about him and he was actually gaining money off of this so uh the government created the son of sam laws where no serial killer can earn money from books or media while serving his sentence does that Wait, you say serial killers and murderers? Serial killers and murderers, I'm fairly sure. So, this thought popped up earlier. Like, Joe Exotic, he didn't kill anyone, but he's in prison for the attempted... We hired a hitman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, would he be getting any money, do you think? I don't know. I don't know if it's state by state. Uh, True, true. I think he did because he was the one that was recording the footage. Right. For, like... Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Um, when he got his sentencing, he did try and jump out the seventh story window <laughs> because six life sentences, so that's what, 120, 150. Yeah. 150 years. Wait, what's your math? Wait, how long is the life sentence? 25 years. 25? I thought it was only 20. That's why they. 25 years. What do you mean? Eminem wrote a song called 25 to Life. I don't know anything about Eminem, though, do I? I don't know. I'm pretty sure Eminem wrote a song called 25 to Life. And that's how I know that it's 25. (laughs) I apologise for not knowing my Eminem lore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Seven fucking stories, though. Seven stories. It would have been the easier way out. Yeah, unless he landed on his feet. He probably would have done his legs in. I mean, still probably die from that. Maybe. G-Force of just oh, stopping yeah. that suddenly. Stories. Yeah. Oh, Swallowed think... ankle. <laughs> just it might have rolled his ankle. That was a bit. We'll get off. It'll be right. Crawl into the road. Get hit by a car or something. You gotta get me drunk, mate. I ain't gonna get me drunk. <laughs> uh, I thought I'd be cheeky. You, you can have some of this if you want. It's full of that weak old. Or do you want some unnamed Zoom juice? Yeah, go on, I'll have some unnamed Zoom juice. Was his dad's name Sam by any chance? No. What, what's the context behind that then? Uh, I don't know, they just started referring to him as the son of Sam Killer. He was first known as the 44 Killer because of his choice of weapon. That makes sense. Um, but yeah. So is that all that's, you got on? That's what I've got on David Berkowitz. 
Yeah, he's got quite a strange last name. Yeah. I mean, I've got a fucking shit ton on Richard Ramirez. Can you summarise it? Or uh, I'll try to. I'm just going... I'm, bear with me. I'm just going through our, our pages. I think I only have one page on Charles Manson. Yeah, I do. Uh, so... I mean, with the timing, I could probably get it up to whatever. But uh, so, Richard Ramirez or Ricardo Leve, Leva Munoz Ramirez. Sorry for the butchering. Yeah, but all yeah. names. All names. Uh, I'm not dyslexic, but however, I struggle to read. Yeah, <laughs> Um, actually, before we go on to Richard Ramirez, I'd like to give a shout out to our friend Mac. Uh, he's a great guy, absolutely wonderful. Go follow him on Twitch at Hefty Yeti. Um, and yeah, if you like LARP stuff, uh, gaming videos and stuff like that, definitely go check him out. He's quite he's quite a great person. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll get him on the podcast one day. Um, but anyway. Continuing with Richard Ramirez. Probably should have done that earlier. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so, born in El Paso, Ramirez's childhood was considered an influence on his crimes. His dad hit him a lot. Uh, and he went off with his cousin, who was in the military, uh, during the Vietnam War. Served in Nam. Yeah. Do you want me some Nam bread? Uh, <laughs> Um, when Richard Ramirez moved with his uncle, uh, well, his, si no, his sister and her husband, um, her husband was a obsessive peeping Tom, apparently, uh, and he took Ramirez under his, uh, along to his nocturnal exploits. Ramirez also began using LSD and cultivated an interest in Satanism. Now, not all Satanists are killers, but a lot of killers are Satanists. Satanists. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot. Of, yeah. 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 I mean, oh, you do see a lot. It's like Satan maybe oh, The fucking demon, demon dogs. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Fucking hell. Uh, okay, so Ramirez highly publicized home evasion and murder crime spree terrorized the residents of the greater Los Angeles area and later the residents of San Francisco Bay. Um, from June 1984 until August 1985. Wow. That's... That's a long time period. Yeah, I mean, that's a year. Yeah. But still, that's a pretty long time. Um, especially if you go around fucking killing. Yeah. How have you not been caught in a year? I mean, same with David Berkowitz. Yeah. I mean, might just be the same person. <laughs> uh, uh, he used... A wide variety of weapons, okay, definitely not the same person, uh, including handguns, knives, a machete, a tire iron, and a hammer. Uh, in 1989, Ramirez was convicted of 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. The, ju uh, the judge who upheld Ramirez's 19 death sentences remarked that his deeds exhibited cruelty, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding. Ramirez never expressed any remorse for his crimes. He died of complications from B-cell lymphoma. 
Lymphoma. Lymphoma. Lymphoma. Lymphoma. Lymphoma. <laughs> <laughs> While awaiting execution on California's death row. 19 fucking He's just death. one up to you there. Yeah, he's just one up me. I, I thought <laughs> this guy was going off on one with six life sentences, but you know. Fucking 19 oh, death geez. sentences. Yeah. That's a whole nother ballpark. Fucking hell. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I, I'm a little taken back by that. Like, it's just in case he survives the first 18. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that must be some good fucking food, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get like your last meal. He gets 19 of them. Yeah. <laughs> fucking hell. What would you have as your last meal? Ah. Just as a quick sidetrack. I think I'd have to go with. Oh, ah. Surf and turf. Lobster and steak. Uh, okay. Uh, personally, wouldn't. I've never had lobster, to be fair. Um, uh. But I'm sure it tastes good. Uh, don't know you even know if I'm allergic to it. So, <laughs> I could be. And that could be my death sentence. Yeah. <laughs> so, if I ever get one, I doubt it. But, uh, for legal reasons, that's a joke. Um, what about you, Matt? What would your last meal be? A big bowl of mayonnaise. <laughs> Why? Why would you have a big bowl of mayonnaise? Why not? I think there was a guy who ordered a Bible as his last meal and then <laughs> proceeded to eat it. How did you eat a Bible? You just, like, no idea. Look, if someone was like, what do you want for your last meal? Again, one of each burger from McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, all of them. I don't care. and I want a shit ton of McDonald's fries with each one of them. 180 chicken nuggies. Fucking... All the curry sauce I could possibly cover my entire body with. Not that I was going to do that, but I mean, like, for the chicken nuggets, obviously. But would you not rather a big bowl of mayonnaise? No, I would not. <laughs> we might as well share meals. Like, I could, I could dip my nuts in these fucking mayonnaise. I mean, lobster goes well with mayonnaise. Does it? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I like lipstick and mayonnaise. Yeah. I think that's quite a good mix. Seafood and mayo goes yeah. together. I mean, what is it? Prawn sauce is essentially, what is it, ketchup and mayonnaise? Ketchup, mayonnaise and some other stuff. Salad cream? You've gone, mm. you've gone from speaking cream. about murderers <laughs> to food. seafood and mayonnaise. I'm yeah. hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't eaten all day. Yeah, I've had a couple bits, but I won't get into that. Moving on with Richard Ramirez. On June 28, 1984, 79-year-old Jenny Vincow has found... Uh, was found brutally murdered in her apartment in Glassell Park, Los Angeles. She had been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed and her throat slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. Fuck. Fuck. That's... That's crazy. Yeah. Ramirez's fingerprints was found on a mesh screen he removed to gain access through an open window. Uh, on March 17... Eight, uh, 1985, Ramirez attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside her home in Rosemead, California, shooting her in the face with a 22 caliber handgun after she pulled into her garage. Not as good as the 44 Bulldog. Uh, However, she survived when the bullet ricocheted off the keys she held in her hand mm. as she lifted them to protect herself inside the house. Her roommate, Dale Yoshi, Ogzaki, Okazaki. Again, we apologise for that. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Why can't people have like normal names like 
Jesus. Jim Smith or Gary. <laughs> like, I don't, Gary, I don't Gary. know. Um, age 34, heard the gunshot and ducked behind a counter. When he saw, uh, when she saw Ramirez enter the kitchen, when she raised her head, he shot her once in the forehead, killing her. Um, uh, there's quite. A, oh, okay. So I've got basically all of his murders. In detail. In detail. Uh, you don't need to cover all of them. Yeah. No, but I mean, uh, we've got like 15 minutes until we move yeah. on to the next section. So I mean, yeah. If I finish this page, do you want to take the second page of Richard? Yeah, I'll read through some Richard. Cool. Uh, within an hour of the Rosemead home invasion, Ramirez pulled uh, 30-year-old... Oh, fuck off. Si <laughs> Show me. To say, Sai, Leanne, Veronica, you, out of her car in Monterey Park. Monterey. Ah, oh, fuck it. I can't read. <laughs> um... Fuck, now I lost where I am. Shot her twice with a 22 caliber handgun and fled. She was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital with two murders and attempted third in a single day attracted extensive coverage from news media uh, who dubbed the attacker described as a curly-haired uh, curly head with bulging eyes and wide-spaced rotting teeth. The walk-in killer and the valley intruder. Hmm kind of shit names yeah I mean what, what did your guy have uh, he had the 44 killer yeah. and son of Sam I mean son of Sam he just has no context and it just reminds reason. me of that uh, Tarzan song that Phil Collins did son of man these <laughs> are such niche references <laughs> <laughs> we cover everything even Disney we're coming after you next uh, on March 27, 1985, Ramirez entered a home that he had burglarized a year earlier, just outside of Whittier, California, at approximately 2 a.m., and killed the sleeping Vincent Charles. Z You're fucking kidding. Zazara. <laughs> age 64, with a gunshot to you his mean head. Age 44. That's his, no, 64. 64. Vincent Charles oh, Zara, okay. I was reading age 64. Oh, right. With a gunshot to his head from a 22 caliber handgun. Zara's wife, Maxine Levin... Just Maxine, uh, <laughs> age 44, was awakened by the gunshot and Ramirez beat her and bound her hands while demanding to know where her valuables were. While he ransacked the room, Maxine escaped her bonds and retrieved the shotgun from under the bed, which was not loaded. Why, why, why would you keep a shotgun under the bed if it's not loaded? I mean, I think it's for initial like, burglaries, so I mean, you could tell them to go away and if yeah. you get any closer, then you pop a couple shots. And it's not loaded. Keep the shells <coughs> well, no, close. Yeah, keep the shells close. Oh. I mean, you don't want to clean your gun one day and then mm. all of a sudden you've got no head left on your shoulders. So, uh, so yeah, she had a shotgun under a bed, uh, which was not loaded. The infuriated Ramirez shot her three times with the twenty-two and fetched a large, carv a large carving knife from the kitchen. He mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, then gouged out her eyes and placed them in a jewellery box. 
which he took when he left. The, auto uh, the autopsy determined that the mutilations were post-mortem. Vincent and Maxine's bodies were discovered by their son, Peter photographed and cast. What? Oh, wait, no, I've skipped a couple of lines. Son Peter. Uh, Ramirez left footprints from a pair of Avia sneakers in the in the flower beds which the police photographed and cast. This was virtually the only evidence that the police had at the time. Bullets found at the scene were matched to those found at previous attacks and the police determined that a serial killer was at large. Didn't they have his fingerprints from a previous yeah, one? Yeah, possibly. On yeah, the screen door. Uh, I think, was that a different time? That was March 27th. Okay, so I think that one was before... I mean, I suppose they can't really link it, but yeah. you've got someone's mm. fingerprints and you've got someone's shoe prints. Yeah. Oh, to be fair, uh, that one was a year after oh, okay. the one with the fingerprints. Uh, so do you have a year Mo off then? I think, yeah. No, I think he did. Uh, Pretty much. Uh, do you want to read them one? Yeah. Uh, so on May 14th, 1985, Ramirez returned to Monterey Park. Uh, and entered the home of Bill Doy. That's an easier name. That is a <laughs> <What> the fuck? <laughs> there goes the light. Uh, Almost uh, broke everything. Everything's Oops. fine now. Might need to move the camera a bit though. Nah, it's fine. We're not even recording on the camera. No, fair. There's such a big spike in the audio. Uh, Bill Doy, age 66, and his disabled wife, Leanne. Uh, Lillian. Ah, fuck you. Sharp, aged 56. Uh, surprising Doy in his bedroom, Ramirez shot him in the face with a 22 semi-automatic pistol, and Doy went for his own. Uh, as Doy went for his own handgun, after beating the mortally wounded man into unconsciousness, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom, bound yeah. her with thumbcuffs. We changed that word. To then sexually assaulted. Sexually assaulted her after he had ransacked the home for valuables. Bill Doy died of his injuries while in the hospital. Uh, not even 15 days well 15 days afterwards on May 29th 1985 Ramirez drove a stolen car to Monrovia and stopped at the house of Mabel Mar Bell um, aged 83 and her disabled sister Florence Nettie Lang aged 81 finding a hammer in the kitchen he bludgeoned and bound Lang in her bedroom then bound and bludgeoned Bell before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. After sexually assaulting Lang, he used Belle's lipstick to draw the satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh, as well as on the walls of both bedrooms. Um, the women were found two days later alive, but comatosed. Uh, Belle later died of her injuries. I mean, there's where the satanic aspect comes in. All right. Oh, just a quick note. Uh, apparently... He tried relating his murders to ACDC. Oh, okay. The band. Yeah, and there was a lot of backlash with that. Um, especially for them, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and they had to try and say that that wasn't their message sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, who listens to fucking Hell's Bells and thinks, yeah, I'm going to go kill someone? You know, it's, it's, it's the whole argument of how media can relate to violence. Yeah. It, it's been a thing forever. Especially with like metal, yeah. There's, there's been such a dark 
perception around metal, but really, like some of the community are really great people. Yeah, I met a lot of great people out at gigs and stuff. But yeah. uh, the next day, Ramirez drove the same car to Burbank and sneaked into the home of Carol Kyle, aged forty-two. At gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her eleven-year-old son with handcuffs, then ransacked the house. He released Kyle to direct him to where the family's valuables were. He then sexually assaulted her repeatedly. Ramirez also repeatedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would cut her eyes out. Uh, he fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together again with handcuffs. Um, on the night of July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen car to Arcadia. Uh, and, ra and randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, aged 75, a widowed grandmother. After quietly enter entering Cannon's home, he found her asleep in her bed. He bludgeoned her in uh, into unconsciousness with a lamp, and then repeatedly stabbed her using a 10-inch butcher knife, not butter knife, from her kitchen. She was found dead at the scene. Wow. Um... Three days after, on July 5th, 1985, Ramirez broke into the home of Sierra Mad Madre and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. After searching in vain for a knife in the kitchen, Ramirez attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. He stated that he was startled to see electrical sparks emanating from the cord, and when his victim began to breathe, he fled the house believing that Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. Okay. Um, um, okay. You got anything on that, Matt? No, not really. I, like, um, I wonder why he went from, like, at the beginning it said that he went from 27-year-olds, like, and then he failed to kill one of them, and then he just went for old people. Yeah, and, and it's back to the young people. Yeah. Bennett survived the savage beating, although 478 stitches were required. To close the lacerations to her scalp. Jesus fuck. fucking nearly five hundred stitches. Definitely had yeah. something to do with that, if that's what you believe. Yeah. I mean um, I couldn't even call that luck really. Four hundred and seventy eight stitches. To her scalp alone. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's a lot. Um on July 7th, not even two days after, uh, Ramirez burglarised the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, age 60, in Monterey Park. Finding her asleep on her living room couch, he beat her to death using his fists and kicked her in the head. A shoe print from an Avia sneaker, again, was left imprinted on her face. Uh, after cruising to other neighbourhoods, he returned to Monterey Park and chose the home of Sa uh, Sophie Dickman, aged 63. Ramirez. <laughs> laugh at that name. Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed Dickman. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just. Uh, I'm very childish, so Dickman is quite amusing. At gunpoint, attempted to sexually assault her and stole her jewellery. When she swore to him that he had taken everything of value, uh, he told her to swear on Satan. One way to swear. Usually you yeah. swear the other way. Yeah. Um, I mean, God must be a little bit annoyed at that. Yeah. Just a bit. Uh, on July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. 
He chose the home of Leela Needing. Needing? Yeah, Needing, age yeah. 66, and her husband Maxon, age 68. He burst into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with the machete, then killed them with shots to the head from a 22 caliber handgun. He further mutilated the bodies with a machete before robbing the house of valuables. After quickly fencing the stolen items from the needing residence, Ramirez drove to Sun Valley. Uh, I assume this is on the same day, uh, approximately well, day after, uh, approximately 4:15 a.m. He broke into the home of the Covent. No idea if that's right. Uh, family. He shot the sleeping. I'm not even going to attempt that name. Chainerong. Covenant. In the head with a 25 caliber handgun. With a .25 caliber handgun. Killing him instantly. Then repeatedly sexually assaulted and beat Somkid. Covenant. He bound the couple's eight-year-old son before dragging some kid around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items which he stole. Uh, during his assault, he again demanded that she swear to Satan that he, uh, she wasn't hiding any money or valuables from him. Um, and finally on my page, on August 6th, 1985... That one moves out, yeah, Chris. Chris, yeah. Uh, he broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson... He crept into the bedroom, startled Virginia, age 27, and shot her in the face with a 25 caliber handgun, a semi-automatic handgun. He then shot Chris in the neck and attempted to flee. Chris fought back while avoiding being hit by, uh, by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. The couple survived their injuries. That's good that some did. Yeah. We've just hit the half an hour mark. Half an hour mark. Uh... Well, yeah, there's there's three more after that. No, four, I think. So, well, there's probably a lot more. I'm assuming that if you fancy going to have a look at them, then surely you can find them on Google. That was Richard Ramirez and... David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz. Uh, and that will be it for our killers. So... Moving on. We're going to cover some cult leaders. Um, I feel like yours is the longer one, so I'll go first. I mean... If... I mean, you're covering Charles Manson. There's a lot that's been... Yeah, I, I haven't got too much on him. Um, I think this has got a couple of the movies. Huh? Maybe... Uh, well, I'll be covering Jim Jones and the Jamestown Massacre. All right. Um, so Jim Jones was a cult leader and started off as a charismatic preacher. Um, okay, so somewhat like Ted Bundy being charismatic. Yeah. Um, he claimed to have psychic powers such as foretelling the future and uh, healing the sick. Okay. Um, and he promised his followers a utopia in the jungles of South America. So this guy's got a bit of a god complex. Yeah, yeah I mean, later on he did uh, start referring to the himself as the prophet, uh, and he became obsessed with power. Definitely a god complex. Yeah. Messiah complex. Yeah. Um, in 1955, 
he established the Wings of Deliverance Church, eventually becoming the People's Temple. Okay. Um, he was... He started off seeming like not that bad of a guy. He was very big on racial integration uh, at the time, which was not something that was seen that much. Right. Um, I mean, wait, when was this? In 1955. Then, yeah, no, of course. That's um, going way back. And he, worked, he did a lot of work with the homeless. And in 1960, was the director of the Indiana- Indianapolis's Human Rights Commission. Wow. So he goes from that to uh, what we'll explain now. Um, fearing the nuclear holocaust or the nuclear destruction um, of the Cold War uh, he moved his church multiple times first to North uh, California uh, in 1965 uh, and then to San Francisco in 1971 Um, I don't know how that would really help against nukes but you know got to try something um it was during this time of him moving that he started to refer to him uh, using the name of the prophet right and became obsessed with power uh there were during this time he faced some allegations that he was using money that he'd gained from the church cult um oh, like the donations that donations that you see, that you I, see. Yeah. he was using them for personal reasons okay um and obviously because of these allegations he took his flock and uh, moved them to guiana in south america which is a country over from venezuela i believe okay i'm not big on my uh, geography but uh I suppose this is the uh, jungle paradise, jungle utopia he was talking about. Right. Um, and he started up a agricultural commune known as Jamestown. Um, That's definitely in a scary movie, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, I think it was... Man, a scary movie hits every reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, he kept his commune in fear of uh, abuse death uh, he used blackmail on a lot of them uh, to keep them in line and to keep them believing in that and he even ran mock attempts at a mass suicide um, right by mock attempts what do you mean he didn't get up on a stage and say haha group suicide starts in 10 minutes I, I think he did right okay. <laughs> um <laughs> He had a, a large commune that followed like every word that he would say. Uh, they believed in him wholeheartedly. And to have that power, it definitely got to his head. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, in November of 1978, a US rep and a group of reporters and relatives of the cultists that were there... Uh, flew over to Guyana to start an unofficial investigation right. of uh, what was going on and to find out about the abuses that he had was doing to the flock. Yeah. Um, four days after that, 
the US rep, the reporters, and 14 cult members who tried to back out uh, went to an airstrip to leave the country. And uh, fearing that they would bring the justice system in, um, he ordered the assassination of the group um, of reporters. But only the US rep and four others died. Um, again, fearing that everything was falling down and crumbling around him, he activated his suicide plan. Um, where on November 18th, he made, well, he commanded his group of followers to drink cyanide laced punch. And that had a bit of a kick. <laughs> <laughs> and this wasn't a small commune or a small group of people. Um, over well, it was the death toll ended up being nine hundred and thirteen people, that. with a third of them at three hundred and four being under the age of eighteen. That's a lot of fucking people. That's a lot of people, and this was found by the Guyan um military or police that right. uh, arrived the day after this. Uh, had happened. Did you say this was like a small commune? No, it, 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 well, I mean... 900 people does seem like a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. But, I mean. um, Jim Jones himself uh, was found shot in the head and nobody knows if it was self-inflicted mm. and a suicide of himself, but he didn't join his commune in drinking the punch. Right. The forbidden punch. The Forbidden Punch, indeed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, all I've got on that. That was a, a large... Yeah, that was... There were survivors from it. Really? Yeah. Um, of course, the 14 uh, people who tried to leave the cult days before. Um, but I think some of them didn't, obviously, drink the punch. Uh but according to the site I was reading from, a lot of them did it without questioning it. They were that influenced by him that they willingly committed suicide. Wait, they, Wait, well, they, so you're they knew. Like they knew it was. I think so. Wait, so you're telling me that they knew they that knew. the punch was going to kill them? I think so. Uh. That's fucking insane. I thought you were just like, hey, have some of this drink. Yeah, I thought, like, the way I was picturing it yeah. in my head was like, sort of like, I don't know, a party or something, and they're all just sort of yeah. sitting there chilling in robes and stuff, and there's just like a big punch bowl in the middle, and like there's a DJ, and everyone sort of comes <laughs> up and DJ. gets punched and that. Oh, uh, I've just been saying the name wrong. It's not the Jamestown Massacre, it's the Jonestown Massacre. Right, right. Oh, okay. Um... But yeah, I think it was covered by the Guardian. Yeah, willingly. That's insane. Mm. Then uh, ordered his followers there to, to then commit mass suicide. So yeah, I believe That's it was. Crazy. Yeah. Wonder how many life sentences that must have been. None, because he shot himself in the head. Yeah. <laughs> How many do you think it would have been? Yeah. Like... I 
think it would have just been a death sentence immediately. It wouldn't have been like yeah. he wouldn't have been serving yeah. life sentences. I mean, Richard Ramirez got like nineteen death sentences, mm. but I guess that's because he like travelled a lot. Yeah, but he had uh, multiple states. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I've got quite a well-known one. Apparently, I don't know too much about cultists and all this. The only cultists I know about are in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> The satanic cult of Dungeons and Dragons, yes. as the 80s I mean, would te- say. Yeah, technically, <laughs> D&D players are cultists in some retrospect. Um, more of a cult following, though, I guess. Mm. But, um, Charles Manson, uh, born November 12th, 1934, and I'm assuming he died November 19th, 2017. This is quite recent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was an old American criminal and cult leader in the mid 1967 uh, uh, he formed what became known as the Manson family a quasi commune based uh, in California a quasi commune what the fuck some of these words I don't recognize and I apologize for my poor reading ability um, just keep going yeah, uh, his followers committed a series of nine murders at four locations in July and August 1969. Although the motive for these murders was start uh, was disputed by Manson, the Los Angeles County District Attorney uh, believed that Manson intended to start a race war. Okay, so we've gone from one end of the spectrum yeah. to another. Yeah. Someone trying to bring peace and love together to someone trying to tear the world apart. And this was fairly recent, so. Oh no! This was this was in the nineteen sixties. Oh, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, in nineteen seventy one, he was convicted of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of seven people, including the film actress Sharon Tate. The prosecution contended that. While Manson never directly ordered the murders, his ideology was uh, constituted an uh, overt act of conspiracy. Okay, so basically, he's got a cult, and some of his uh, followers have gone and killed some people. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm getting. Uh, before the murders, Manson had spent more than half of his life in correctional institutions. When he began gathering his cult following. He was a singer-songwriter on the fringe of the Los Angeles music industry. Oh. The dog has just broken in. Yep, my dog just tried to get in. Uh, She can open my door, which is a bit of a piss take. Um, So yeah, he was a singer-songwriter on the fringe of Los Angeles music industry, chiefly through a chance association with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Wow. Mm. And by chiefly, I think they mean briefly. Or you just copy and paste it on. Probably. Uh, who introduced Manson to, re- uh, to record producer Terry Melcher in 1968. The Beach Boys recorded Manson's song, Cease to Exist, retitled Never Learn Not to Love, as the B-side on one of their singles, uh, but without a credit to Manson. Wilson and Melcher severed ties with Manson around early 1969. Nice. 69! <laughs> <laughs> Why did I expect Whee! that? Funny number. Uh, 
Okay, so uh, the Los Angeles District Attorney said that Manson was obsessed with the Beatles, particularly their 1968 self-titled album. Manson had claimed to be guided by this, uh, by his interpretation of the Beatles' lyrics and adopted the term Helter Skelter to describe an impending apocalyptic race war. At, uh, at trial, the prosecution submitted that Manson and his followers believed that the murders would help Precipitate. Wait, that word? Yeah, precipitate. precipitate. That war. Man, I'm not with it today. Are you sure you're not dyslexic? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just very tired. And this lighting is making me sleepier. We don't even need the lighting on at the moment. And now I'm just wasting time because we've got 15 minutes left and That's not fine. enough story to cover. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so... Other contemporary, uh, contemporary interviews and those who testified during Manson's trial insisted that the Tate-LaBianca murders were copycat crimes designed to exonerate Manson's friend Bobby Boussoulin? Bobby. Bobby. We're just gonna, I'm going to stick to a first name yeah. basis unless it's Charles Manson. Um, the Manson family developed into a doomsday cult when Manson became fixated uh, on the idea of an I uh, imminent apocalyptic race war between America's black population and a larger white population. A white supremacist, Manson believed that black people in America would rise up and kill all whites except for Manson and his family. But that, uh, but they, that they were not intelligent enough to survive on their own. They would need a while, uh, need a white man to lead them. And so they would serve Manson as their master. Late in 1968, Manson adopted the term Helter Skelter, taken from a song on the Beatles' recently released White Album to refer to this upcoming war. I would just like to say, uh, you know, we, we don't condone no. any any racism uh, you know, anywhere. I um, murder. I mean, yeah, definitely not murder. We don't condone anything that people have done that we have read out on yeah, this yeah. podcast. This is just for, yeah, educational. Yeah, I'd say educational. Mm. Um, and you know, we can have a bit of fun with certain things. Um, you know, crack a few jokes and have a laugh. But obviously, certain topics can be quite serious. Um, and this one, for example, is very serious. Yeah. Is yeah, I mean, all of the ones we've done in this episode, because they are real stories. Yeah. I mean, this this is the first episode of genuinely proven stories. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on at the moment. Um, in early August 1969, funny number, well, hey... Uh, Manson encouraged his followers to start Helter Skelter by committing murders in Los Angeles and making it appear to be racially motivated. The Manson family gained national notoriety after the murder of actress Sharon Tate and four others in her home on August 8th and 9th, 1969, and Leno and Rosemary LaBianca the next day. Tex Watson and three other members of the family executed the Tate-LaBianca uh, murders, allegedly acting under Manson's instructions. 
While it was later accepted at trial that Manson never expressly ordered the murders, his behaviour was deemed to warrant a conviction of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Evidence pointed to Manson's obsession with inciting a race war by killing those he thought were pigs, and his belief that this would show the... Okay, I'm not going to pronounce... I'm not going to say that word. It's a bad word. Uh, how to do the same. Family members were also responsible for other assaults, thefts, crimes, and the attempted assassination of President Gerald Ford in Sacramento by Lynette Squeaky from... Okay, uh, I don't actually know who that is. Mm. Um... Okay. Uh, while it was often thought that Manson never murdered or attempted to murder anyone himself, uh, true crime writer James Buddy Day, in his book Hippie Cult Leader, The Last Words of Charles Manson, claimed that Manson was shot. Uh, that Manson shot drug dealer Bernard Crow on July first, nineteen sixty-nine, and Crow survived. See, I feel with the whole Manson thing at the time. It was very prolific, uh, like acid and LSD were yeah. very prolific as drugs, mm. and it probably influenced quite a lot. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, drugs are never a go to for anything, no, um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you, do you think that the drugs influenced that? Maybe I don't know, I think they could have played a part. Drugs have always had a very bad representation, um, the same as metal yeah. in certain ways. Um, but drugs are definitely a lot worse for you than heavy metal. I would recommend listening to heavy metal, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing drugs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, in that in that sort of time period, I guess you're right. Drugs were very common. And you see pictures of people selling acid on the side of the road for a dollar. Really? Yeah. Wow, that is... And you could buy acid-dipped cigarettes. That's crazy. Yeah. I never even knew they existed. Good yeah. old days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> during the good old days. Um, well, we got, what, five minutes? Uh, is there anything else you have co on? Um, so I quickly looked into some of the stuff about the okay. Jonestown Massacre. And the... Uh, Jim Jones... Uh, when he did his mock mass suicide attempts, called yeah. them White Knights. Okay. Um, and he the the commune were handed out cups of punch and syringes, and that was them willingly drinking. Oh, and so they fully were willing to do it. Oh, so they injected. Uh, I think I I don't know if they injected it, it but um, run. it was a practice run, and then. Uh, on November 18th, I believe I said. Uh, yeah, November 18th. Um, he started by getting the children, the 304 kids, uh, to commit suicide first. Wow. Um, all of his flock were really passionately following him, whether it was because they were scared because of all the abuse and threats of death and blackmail yeah. or if they truly believed in him um, but he got them to do the final white night where he killed the 304 kids first and then um, 
the adults went afterwards. Um, there are survivors from that night. There was an older woman who actually slept through it all and then woke up in the morning and found everyone dead. Wow. That, that must definitely be a shock to the system. Yeah. yeah. Just like everyone you know and love that has been around you for so long. In the commune that you've moved over, yeah, like moved country with. Pretty much built together. Yeah. You know? um, people were required to raise their kids in the commune. Yeah. Like any kids that were born there were raised under the ideologies of... So they gender. never knew anything different. They, knew, they never knew anything different. Sort of forced into it. Yeah. That's that's quite crazy, but it, that's quite a common thing among cults, isn't it? Um, I would assume so. I don't I mean, know too much about cults. I know there was one around our area. Um, I don't know too much about it, but I think that's gone now. Okay. Um, but my mum said, I think it was my mum, she said that she found a dog hung from a tree by its leg once. Um, in one of like, the foresty areas. Yeah. Uh, I won't mention names because then that's pretty much a dead giveaway. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's kind of strange. But you, you see funny cults in like animated TV shows and that, like and Gravity Falls, for instance. Mm-hmm. They had a cult in that, didn't they? And you see like mock cults over things like Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm part of one praising <laughs> uh, Leviathan Lobster God. <laughs> Hail Lorb. Uh, uh, next week we're covering the flying spaghetti monster Um, I'm kidding Um, I mean that is a very interesting topic I'm not going to lie I won't get into too much about it but I do the fact they're referred to as pastafarians yeah and the fact that you can get away with wearing a colander on your head for your driver's license I, I would love to do that just to for someone to check my passport or something, be like, what the fuck? Just like, <laughs> you get pulled over by police and they ask for your license, you give it to them and they're like, why the fuck are you wearing a colander on your head? And you're like, excuse me, sir. That's my you can't religion. Ask me that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we haven't really got much left to talk about, do really? we? Not for today's episode, but uh, it's been a very good podcast. Yeah, it has been. Um, definitely one of the more serious yeah. ones. Um, Although we try and keep it light-hearted with a couple of jokes here and there, um, we do acknowledge the fact that these are serious things. And we don't um, mean to be disrespectful yeah, to yeah, anyone or anything. Um, and, you know, it's just trying to be a little bit more positive about a negative. You know, um, But next week, uh, I have no idea what we're talking about next week, but I'll probably figure it out. Um, I just want to say thank you for listening. Um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming. I uh, really appreciate that. Mm. Really sort of helped me out because uh, everything was so last minute. Yeah. Uh, it really was. Um, not as last minute as last time, but this time <laughs> was a lot more. I mean, I had a, co- a good couple of days to prepare for it. Um, but yeah, hopefully next week I might be able to sort something else out. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thanks again. Uh, and thanks to all the listeners. This has been the Auto Legion the Podcast. The Auto Legion Podcast. Where, hey, you bastards. Mwah. Can I play Minecraft now? No. <laughs> <laughs>